a brand new episode of The Good Sign with me, your host, Donna Simintov. I am so happy and appreciative to be here today with an incredible friend and an incredible person. And I'm so grateful that he's here to join me on today's episode. Um, this is someone who has persevered through some, some difficult, challenging times in his life. And unlike so many of us who allow those difficult times to kind of reign supreme and, 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 and envelop us, he has, he has managed to not only persevere, but also to his life to good things and to doing charitable and incredible things. And so without further ado, welcome Josh Arie to today's episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so grateful that you're a part of my show today because, um, you know, this, this podcast is really aimed at inspiring our listeners to feeling that they have, that life is their own and that it's never too late and that there's just a way to feel inspired on a daily basis despite hardship, right? Despite the inevitable hardship of life that everyone somehow has to navigate through. And so knowing knowing who you are and knowing your your story to some extent, which I'm excited to learn more about now, I'm really, really inspired by you and I'm glad that you can share it with our listeners. You have, you have started, I don't know how many years ago exactly, but you had started a organization called Smiles Through Cars. So can you just tell me a little bit about what is that organization? What's, what's the purpose? Uh, yeah. So Smiles Through Cars is a nonprofit organization um, that I started in 2018. Um, and essentially what we do is we visit sick and underprivileged children uh, during times of despair, and that's really just how it started off. Um, and like anything else, it kind of evolved from that. And we can add it in, you know, anti-bullying and special needs and many other uh, divisions or chapters within the nonprofit organization uh, to help them as well. Okay, so just backtrack a little bit for me because I'm somebody who has many good ideas and I never know how to make them come into anything real. So when you say you started this organization, how does something, how does a process like that even begin? Um, sure. So really this whole, if you want to call it idea or seed of doing this, um, really began way before 2018. You know, this really started more than a decade before that. Um, and then in 2018, I finally said, okay, it would be a lot easier if I had my own nonprofit. Um, and that's kind of how I got to that point. But to answer your question with that, um, really, it was just filing with the IRS, getting an attorney, getting an accountant, um, speaking with uh, one of these companies that could help you open up an entity and just going through the entire process. It's a lot of the paperwork and filing and all that. Um, and once you go through the entire process, you know, you have every quarter or so that we report to the IRS and obviously everything's on the books. Um Okay, no, really so just... let me wait. So let me clarify. Um, and yeah, thank you for thank you for explaining all that because I actually don't know any of that either. But really, what I want to know is how does the idea, like you said, this is about helping children in need. So how does that idea from you have this idea in your mind? I want to help children in need. How does it go from an idea to an actual thing? That's yeah. Happening? So basically, that really um, the first the initial spark for that idea was really um, a long time ago, closer to like 2007. 
um, when I first started visiting children, um, because I, I always loved exotic cars when I was younger, but I couldn't afford them. And I knew of people throughout Long Island and different areas that did own them. And in the beginning, they would just let me borrow them to visit, you know, to just do errands for them. Right. I didn't mind picking up their cleaning and doing whatever, as long as I got to drive a Lamborghini or Ferrari <laughs> or a Bentley or something. I'm like, I don't care. Right. Yeah. I'm 17 years old, 18 years old, like big deal. Like I'm driving a convertible Ferrari or whatever. Like, I don't mind doing your errands. Like, I'll do it for free. Just let me drive your car. Right. And that's kind of how it started off. And then eventually it kind of evolved into, hey, you could take the car home for a little and then take it home for a weekend and then for a week. Like things just progressed from there. Um, and during those are that, some very, those are some very generous minded people. Yes. Yes. Some of them were my cousins, but yes. Okay, <laughs> um, and then uh, it kind of evolved from there because I uh, just one day I just had an idea that popped into my head um, that I basically said the same way that I grew up loving these exotic cars, there had to be sick and underprivileged children that had that same desire, but didn't have access to it, right? Because the average person can't just say, hey, I want to go for a ride in a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a Rolls or Bugatti or whatever, right? It's just, it doesn't happen. Um, but I realized I had access to it. So I started calling up all different types of charities saying, hey, my name is Josh Arie. I don't own these exotic cars, but I have access to tons of exotic cars. If ever you have a child that makes a wish to go in it, let me know. And one day I got a call back that there was an eight-year-old girl who unfortunately was battling stage four cancer and her dream or wish was to go into a Lamborghini. And one of my cousins was part of this uh, exotic car club and every once in a while he would get different cars and I knew he was able to get it. So I called him up, I asked to borrow the car and this was pretty much the moment that changed my entire life. Um, because the family knew I was coming, the child had no idea and they bring out this little girl She's in a wheelchair. She's all sad, looking down at the ground, and she looks up and sees this bright yellow convertible Lamborghini parked in front of her house. And you see this child's entire face like lights up with the biggest smile you've ever seen. And they get her out of the wheelchair, put her into the car, put the top down, drive around for like 15, 20 minutes. She's having the best time. They take their pictures, they get her back, put her in the wheelchair, and they bring her into the house. And, and so you're the one, you're the one who's driving her around. I'm driving her in the Lamborghini. I'm it. And it's just the two of you? Um, in the car, yes. Okay. It's a two-seater car. Now they have a Lamborghini SUV. It didn't exist at the time, so they were all two-seaters at the time. So yeah, it was a two-seater car, drove her around, and they brought her back into the house after the ride. And as soon as she got back inside her home, the mother that I was standing outside with starts hysterically crying, like nonstop bawling. And I've always been involved with charity, but this was the first time I truly had that one-on-one -on -one interaction with the child that was that sick. Like usually it was like a group setting or something of that sort. It was never that one-on-one. -on -one. So I looked at the mother and I said, look, if I said something or did something offensive, I didn't mean it. You know, I thought maybe somehow I was insensitive without even realizing. And the mother turns to me and she goes, no, she goes, you don't understand. My daughter was diagnosed with ca cancer at the age of four. She's had over 20 surgeries. She got an infection, which caused her to become partially paralyzed, which is why she's in the wheelchair. She said, this is the first time in four years I've seen my daughter smile since she was diagnosed with cancer. Wow. And like literally at that moment, I was like, look, I'm a huge car enthusiast. Like I love cars. They're fun. They're cool. Like love seeing them. But at the end of the day, it's just a car. 
And I was like, if I could have such an impact with such a stupid thing, because essentially at the end of the day, it's just the car. Then I said, I want to dedicate my life to doing this more often. And that kind of started the whole vision of, you know, the nonprofit. At that point, we didn't found it. But I knew at that point that this is what I wanted to be doing. And that's like the initial seed that was planted to get me to where I was finally about a decade later to actually open my own nonprofit. Wow, that is that is an amazing start. That's like a beautiful. What can you say about a story like that? <laughs> and I'm just I'm just wondering. So like each and every time since that point, because it's now been years that you've been doing this and you ride up to homes where there's a child who has this dream, who's sick. And is it always a similar story in the sense that you take them for a ride and, and they're so happy and then you drop them off back at home and their life goes back to, is there a connection that's formed between you and the child where there's a relationship or is, uh, it, just, is, it, is it just the ride and then you, know, you, you kind of move on to the next child? Yes, I think what makes my organization unique and the volunteers, uh, because even though I'm the founder, um, I really need to speak about as a team effort because I'm, you know, I'm strong, I'm great as I am as an individual, um, but what we achieve together is a thousand times greater. Um, So everything I'm going to speak about, I'm going to speak like on behalf of the volunteers as well, not just myself. But I think the answer to that is that, you know, what makes us unique is the fact that we don't do a one and done. You know, we don't just fulfill a wish and then the child gets it granted and they move on and that's it. And they live their life. There are children that I've been visiting for more than a decade. Um, some of these actually uh, literally tomorrow. So it's the craziest thing. Literally, you're calling me the day before tomorrow. I'm going to be going to one of the hospitals in New York. There's a child that I've been visiting um, since he was about three years old. Um, and now he's about turning seven. So it's been about four years that he's been living. He's been living in the hospital since. Let me clarify that. Not been in. He's never gone home since he was three years old from the hospital. And tomorrow he's being discharged. Wow. And I've been visiting him ever since. So when I say I, I mean my team. Right. And even that, you know, we could get into some crazy stories of how I met that child through other people that we visited in the past. So the answer is, you know, we're not a one and done. We visit them. And if the family wants us to become a part of their lives, we're there to visit the child. Like it's not just when they're in the hospital, if they're having a tough day or, you know, we could fast forward to during the pandemic where we couldn't actually do visits and we had to do FaceTime visits. Like, like any, if you want to call it company, you always have to be willing to shift with the times. And that's kind of what we had to do. So during COVID, we couldn't do visits. Essentially, we'd be out of business, if you want to call it that, even though we don't profit from any of this. It's completely free. But we'd never have any visits to do. So what we had to do is change it to a FaceTime and FaceTime all the children and do virtual visits or you know, doing it at a really, really large social distance. They'd be at the hospital window and I'd be outside in a Ferrari and waving at them or in a costume and you know that kind of thing. And so, and so you're forming relationships and connections with many of these children and sometimes for years at a time, how do you then, how do you, how do you, how do you somehow separate it to enough to a point where it's not bringing you down? How do you allow it to just maintain that sense of, you know, that feeling of I'm doing something good, I'm bringing joy and, but that it doesn't affect you negatively or does it affect you negatively? So I would say it definitely does um, because of the fact that we become so close with the children and their families. 
um, you know, like I said, it's not a one and done. So if you're visiting a child for five years, right, and you're really there during their weakest, most vulnerable part of their entire life, right, because you're not in the hospital for fun, a lot of them are there for cancer or rare diseases, you know, they need transplants, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But they're at a very, very tough point in their life. Some of them fighting for their lives. They don't know if tomorrow is going to come. You know, so to be there to share that with them, you know, you really form that bond. Um, and it's tough because, unfortunately, a lot of the children do pass away, right? Like, I've been to probably this year north of 10 to 20 funerals already, like, uh, of just children. I'm not even talking about adults, like, just the children that have passed away. So it's really tough to be there and to see that and to go through that. Um, so I think the answer really is that the fact that I go to therapy and I speak openly about this, like I go to therapy once a week, sometimes twice a week, um, because I need to talk about this stuff that I see, right? Like, thank God on my Instagram and all that, like I try to post mostly positive stuff. So I show the children when they're happy and the events that we host. So sometimes it's not just the visit. We'll have like a DJ and an entertainer and the exotic cars and food and a swimming pool and just all different stuff for the kids just to have an amazing time. I'm showing the happy moments, but what goes on behind the camera when we're in the hospital and they're not so happy, right? The kid goes through therapy and they're screaming in pain. They can't get more pain medication or, you know, they're continuously vomiting and going to the bathroom because of the, you know, chemo treatments and the pills and all the stuff they're getting done. You know, and the kid is literally sitting there essentially lifeless, right? The kid's not smiling. They're not moving. They're just there. Like, that's not easy to see anybody, whether it's a one-year-old or a 20-year-old person that we're visiting. Like, that's a tough thing to see. Um, and to do that pretty much every day, you know, it's really hard. So that's why I talk openly about like going to therapy because it definitely does affect me. I'm, I'm a human being, right? Like, I'm not made of stone, even though I've been doing this for a long time. And I visited thousands and thousands of children. Like, it doesn't get any easier because every child is its own child. It's its own human being. It's its own family. You know, so each time it's like the first time, essentially, and it just it hits hard. Um, so yeah, so let me ask you then, because what what is it like then when I've thought about this in the past when I think about doctors and surgeons who choose to work in, you know, to work with children, to work with sick children and that they really are their heroes. And and I honestly, so are you that you're choosing to have this to be part of your life. And I just wonder, like. How do you go back and forth between such an extreme on the one hand of what you just described, but then back to normal life where you're surrounded by family and children who are not at all subjected to any of these challenges, but still manage to whine and complain and, and they're spoiled. How do you go back and forth and not resent the normalcy of life where so many of us take everything for granted? Yeah. So I've realized, you know, number one, I don't judge people um, because everyone's got their own thing. So that's kind of my mentality. Um, and I just kind of look at it that we all have different perspectives on life. So, you know, if even though the things that I see, it's not what majority of the world has seen, right? Majority of the world is busy with keeping up with the Joneses and that kind of mentality. They're not, you know, trying to see how many children I could visit or, you know, the impact that I could make and all that. Not that there aren't people out there, but as a whole, I don't think the majority of the world, the focus is on that. Um, so I think I just keep a level-headed mindset in the sense that knowing that this isn't normal, right? It's not normal to want to dedicate your life to volunteering. I wish it was. Like, I wish there were more people out there that would just do that 
Um, but in the world that we're currently living in, that's not something that's normal. So I have to shift my own mindset to, I guess, be more aligned with the rest of the world so that I don't have that mentality towards them. Meaning in terms of the mindset that you just discussed um, of my thoughts versus their thoughts. Right. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's interesting because I'm listening to it. I'm thinking like, I find that in life, it's those really, really high points and those really, really low points that tend to snap us into attention. You know, we have an amazing, like when I gave birth to my first child, I remember feeling like I was on top of the world and like, I felt like superwoman, like I can do anything, I can be anything. And then, you know, the opposite and the polar extreme of that is when, like you described, when you attend a funeral or when there's a, a death and it kind of shakes you up and makes you realize life is so fleeting. And I, it's just, it's hard because there's all that in between when it's not the highs and the lows, where we kind of just coast through life mm -hmm. and it's, it's a shame and it's sad. And it's like, you want to, you want to be able to preserve that feeling of inspiration so that you could just appreciate your time more. Do you find that all that you do has given you a certain value for your own life and your own time? Yes, it's definitely uh, put my life into more perspective. Um, because when I was younger, you know, when I was a teenager, probably around that age, like I didn't want to be Batman. Um, I wanted to be Bruce Wayne, right? My goal was to be a multi-billionaire, you know, the biggest exotic car collection, most amount of vacation homes, private jets, yachts, you name it. Like, that's what I wanted to have. That's what I was hoping to have. That's what I was aspiring to have. Um, and then through these, you know, the, that first interaction and, you know, other life-changing events that we could talk about. Um, you know, helped shift the path that I was on and kind of opened my eyes to like what's truly important in life. And that doesn't mean that I don't still appreciate going into a Ferrari or that I don't like going shopping, buying something that's a designer item. I still enjoy these things, but I realize that I need to learn to be happy without them as well. Like there's a lot more to life than just having the newest pair of shoes, belt, whatever, right? Fill in the blank. Like that was very appealing when I was 14 and 15. But at this stage in life, like I realized that there's so much more going on on a day to day that you could get enjoyment from that. But that can't be the focal point of your life of what brings you that enjoyment and the focal point of like what you're trying to have and achieve. You must have had like countless conversations over the years with children where you could probably write a book at this point about the cute, funny, meaningful things they've said to you. Are you able not to put you on the spot, but are you able to think of a specific conversation or something in some kind of anecdotes to you by a child that kind of just stuck with you? I mean, we could talk about one of them is like one of the first visits that I did. I mean, when I started doing this, let's say a little bit 2010, so let's say 2007-ish, 2008, somewhere in that range when I was doing it, in the beginning, I did this just with exotic cars, right? That's what I was doing. I used exotic cars from people and I would do it and it was great. Fast forward till about 2012, um, I remember watching the news and I heard about this guy in Baltimore whose name was Lenny Robinson. And um, the reason why his name you know, was special for me was because I heard about him on the news and he was dressed up in a Batman costume in a black convertible Lamborghini. And he was on the way to visit children at a hospital and he got pulled over by a police officer. They were wondering what the hell is going on. Um, and long story short, the video went viral. And I remember hearing about that and that just made a big impact on me because until that point, I never heard of anyone else in the entire world using an exotic car for a greater purpose than themselves, right? When I hear of an exotic car, it's like, oh, okay, the guy wants to drive it to work. They want to go clubbing. They want to whatever. Like, that's the thought that I had. 
Um, and then once you hear it about this guy, I was like, wow, that's an amazing thing. Like there's someone else out there that actually owns the car, right? Because I didn't own any cars at that point. I was like, someone else owns it and he's doing a great kind deed. Unfortunately, in 2015, um, he passed away. He was in the Batman costume in the car and the car broke down. He got out. It was late at night. The car didn't see him, ran him over and he died. Um, that was like August of 2015. So that was when I decided to actually become Batman. Until that point, I never wanted to do costumes or any of that. Um, but I heard about this guy and I was like, look, he's making a huge impact. I want to continue his legacy, right? The fact that he died was horrible, but I didn't want his legacy to die. And that's kind of so when just, I decided to become Batman. So for the sake of our listeners who may not know, Josh, what you do is not just drive up in an exotic car to a, to a sick child, is you actually dress up in a costume as Batman to sort of enhance the whole experience for these children. Yep. And I, you know, transformed some of the cars into quote unquote Batmobiles and all that and try to make it special for them. Um, so the answer to the question really, and the reason why I took this all about was to explain how I became Batman. So after that, um, when I was going to my first visit as Batman, it was to visit a child who was turning five. And on his fifth birthday, he was going to be home from the hospital in between his chemo treatments. Um, and his wish was to meet Batman. I was like, perfect. You know, I got the costume and I got the car and everything all set for him. And I remember getting to the house and, you know, like the kids waiting there with his Batman mask on and he had his oxygen attached to him and everything. And I remember the kid like kind of comes outside and, you know, I give him presents and we're there talking and I kneel down and the kid like looks at me and he goes, where's Robin and the rest of the justice league. <laughs> And, like, I was not in that mindset at all. Like, I was totally in the thought that, like, this kid knew I'm a guy, a guy in a costume. I'm coming to make him happy. I'm volunteering. You know, I'll be there for a little. I'm just a regular guy. I'm going to go home. But, like, no, to this kid, like, he was meeting Batman. And I was totally not in that mindset. So when he asked that question to me, I froze. I did not have an answer for the kid. And, like, was probably five. But for me, felt like a lot longer. <laughs> you know i'm just looking at this kid in the eye and all of a sudden the kid looks at me and goes wait if you're here visiting me they got to be out saving the world and i'm like yes that's exactly <laughs> where they are <laughs> you wow, know that is and, so that is that is precious beyond belief yeah so like now i know when i go i am batman i'm in that mindset and you know even though i don't watch every show i can kind of fake it a little and talk to them and you know the one they're like hey you know, Batman could fly. If you're real, how come you're not flying? And I'm like, well, that's because only Batman flies when there are bad guys around. Are you a bad guy? And the kid's <laughs> like, no, I'm not a bad guy. I'm like, okay, well, that's why I don't have to fly right now. Like, I've learned so to kind of, uh, like, improvise yeah. to work with their questions. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely been some really cute things with them over the years and all that. Because kids are innocent, right? It's They just ask what's on their mind. And they say, just literally, they just say anything and everything. So it's been an amazing journey, um, as I like to call it. So let me ask you, I'm just curious, what, what about your own upbringing, your own childhood, do you believe played a role in creating the man you are today, which is someone who is such an empath and, you know, sensitive and, and, and just giving of your time? So what, looking back, were there specific instances in your upbringing that you think were, were prevalent in all of this? Um, yes. So the answer to your question in short is definitely yes. Um, and then now that I answered it, I could go into detail with like the longer answer of, 
you know, the examples of why and how I got to that point. Um, so one of them was during my childhood, probably till about 10th or 11th grade, um, I was bullied in school. Um, I was picked on because, like I said, I couldn't afford these exotic cars and a lot of these luxury items. Um, but a bunch of the school children that I went to school with could. Um, and they picked on me for that. And I remember one day, you know, thank God my parents could provide. We weren't poor, right? I'm not putting that image out. Thank God we had everything I needed. Um, they got me food, clothing, shelter, like all that was taken care of. But if I wanted to buy something, let's say a designer item, you know, that's a luxury item. They wanted to teach me responsibility. So that was on me to go ahead and purchase. And I remember saving up and, you know, going to the store to buy. And I bought a pair of pants and a shirt and a belt and maybe a sweater, a jacket, like whatever. It was a couple different items. And I felt like the coolest guy. I finally got it, right? Not knowing. I mean, they didn't know it came from like the sale rack. It was like on sale, on sale, on sale, you know, like a clearance kind of thing. But who cares? Like I got what I wanted, right? It was that brand. And I remember feeling like the coolest guy. And I walked into school with that entire outfit. And this group of kids that always pick on me, they looked at me and they were like, hey, I didn't know kids like you could afford that. What would you do, steal it? You know, and they would kind of pick on me all the time for that kind of thing. And it made me feel horrible. And that's kind of why I wanted to be Bruce Wayne um, and not Batman. You know, that's that was my motivation was to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to have everything that all of you guys had combined and 10 times more. And that's kind of what my motivation was. Um, so that was like the first part. Um, second part was I had one younger sibling, uh, my only sister, only younger sibling. And unfortunately, um, she randomly got sick. She had no history, no medications, no allergies, nothing. Um, she initially started off just with a cold, um, didn't feel well. And literally seven days later, she ended up passing away. Um, and that was just the worst seven days of my entire life because it just started off simple and every day it just got progressively worse until the last day where it was really just about hope and that was it until unfortunately she passed um she ended up having a horrible staph infection um but because she was so healthy and young at the time the doctors couldn't figure out what it was because it wasn't presenting any real symptoms for that um so unfortunately she ended up passing because that was the other thing is that, you know, I was on the other end of what I'm doing now of hoping and praying for a loved one to get better, right? You'd give up anything in the world to be able to save them at that moment. And my thing is that if I could bring them happiness during that time for free, then why not? Like, that's really my question was, thank God I have a great family and I'm very close to my, I do have older brothers, my parents, um, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles. Like I come from a very warm, kind, caring family. So I did have a support system. But unfortunately, there are tons of people out there that don't. So I wanted to become the person that I would have needed if I didn't come from the family that I came from. And, and how, I, how old were you when that happened? I was about 19, 20. She was uh, 18. She was about a year or two younger than me. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't, I, I, I can't even imagine that must have been very, very difficult. But like you said, I guess what got you through that was having the support of your family and knowing that you had that close knit support system built in. Yeah, no, thank God we had that. So it made it a lot easier. Um, and I think the final thing was just the fact that I was brought up always with the mentality of giving back, right? It was that no matter how little that you had, there's always someone else out there that has less, right? So you have to give no matter what you make, whether I made a dollar or I made a million dollars, I had to donate 10 to 20% 
in order to be able to use the rest of it for myself. So it was like, you made a dollar, give at least 10 to 20 cents to charity. And after that, the 90 to 80, 80 to 90 cents that you had remaining could be used for whatever you wanted. You want to invest it, you want to save it, you want to spend it. That's yours to do, but you had to give that away. Um, so I think that mentality at a young age kind of just was instilled within me of just think of others before you think of yourself. And then, and, and, it's, and it's really incredible because I think that so, so many of us, we think that the uh, ticket to happiness is, you know, by personal gain. The more I accrue, the more I could acquire, somehow it's going to fulfill this void. And, and I think time and time again, we see in our own life and we definitely see it in society that people just somehow feel empty despite all of their material gain. And then somehow what you described is when you give from a logical perspective, as you're giving, you should have less and feel less. And somehow instead we feel richer by giving. Yeah, it's a hundred percent true. Cause essentially let's think about it. If, if purchasing these items would fill that void, then the designers would never need to make a brand new item. Even if it was the same style for 20 years in a row, if that item made me happy, I wouldn't need a newer version of that to make me happier. I would still get happy from that item, right? When I go out to visit a homeless person, it, whether I visit the same person or a hundred different people, to me, it doesn't matter. I get that same enjoyment. And that's the difference between purchasing the shoes. Every season, they come out with a brand new shoe. It's a brand new Louis Vuitton, a brand new Prada, a brand new Gucci, right? Louis Vuitons go on down the list over and over and over and over. Everything is brand new. And that's because it's really not filling a void. It does for about four seconds. You get happy with that. But yeah. then you need the new one, then you need the new one, and the new uh, one, then you need. Yeah, there's like the, that high, this like temporary high involved with getting something new, right? And then it fades, and you feel, you feel the void again, and you constantly have to fill the void. But somehow, when you talk about giving, when you describe putting a, ch a smile on that child's face, that's something that you could never, ever, ever lose. Like that's 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 that fills you forever. That's like, it's like oxygen. It just it, you you cannot can never release that. Yep, the happiness has never gone down from the first visit that I've done till now. I've never changed in terms of how happy I am and when I visit the child, right? So whether it was the first visit or the 30,000th child that we visited, like that's not changed. I will always be happy from that. And at the same time with the sadness that we have when unfortunately, whether it's the first funeral or the 500th funeral that I've been to for a child, like I'm still going to cry. Like I still cry when I go to the hospital room and I see the child in so much pain when I walk out, like very often I'll cry from that. Like that hasn't changed. My feelings for this has never changed. My feelings when I go shopping and I get a brand new pair of shoes, that goes away. The only thing that doesn't is when I buy a brand new car. But I think that for me is because of the purpose that I have the car. For me, I know the car isn't about the car. It's the fact that now this car is gonna enable me to visit thousands and thousands of children and therefore, the happiness doesn't go away because every day I'm getting to see children smiling when seeing in the car, when going in the car, when hearing the engine of the car. So it became like a purpose for it. And is this happening in New York or is this is this everywhere? Um, so it started off in New York. Um, and then now I have some volunteers, amazing, amazing people in New Jersey, um, of which even that I found because... Uh, one of the families that I visited in a hospital um, had a daughter battling cancer and we visited them and they were so appreciative of what we did that they became an integral part of this organization. Um, and now she comes with 
her three children to actually do the visits as well. They live in Jersey, which did an event last night, actually, um, over there. And we gave out a couple hundred costumes to underprivileged children over there. Um, we also have people in Florida, California, and Las Vegas. I would say New York is our primary. That's where we get majority of the requests. Um, but we have had a bunch in other states as well as, you know, one-off visits that we try to get volunteers for. But ultimately, my goal would be to have a volunteer in every city across the world. Like, I want this globally. I don't want U.S.-based. I want this worldwide. And when you say a volunteer, does that mean they need to come with a expensive car? Is that what that means? No. So we definitely do have people that sign up, like, right? They go onto our website and they say, hey, you know, I want to volunteer. I own an exotic car or whatever it is. Or they just say, hey, you know, I've been wanting to give back for a long time and you know i can't afford to give a lot of money but i could afford to donate my time you know so our real main requirement is not to have an exotic car the exotic car is one of the ways that we figured out of how or that we use to make the children happy during times of despair um, but really our the main thing that we look for is somewhat the kind heart we want you to be there to be empathetic for the family we want you to be there to put yourself in the person's shoes, right? If God forbid this was my son, my sister, my daughter, my aunt, my uncle, whatever, right? My family member, how would I treat that person if I were coming in to visit them? And that's kind of what we want for every single visit, whether you go one time or you go 200 times. I want every visit to be like it's the first, but to be meaningful. And that's like the most important thing. So more than the car, we look for someone with a big heart that wants to make an impact and that truly wants to be a volunteer for the pro- the proper purposes because no one in this organization is getting paid right now. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Where do you imagine, you know, this going? Like you're, you, you've accomplished so much already and it's already affected and, and inspired so many lives and children and families What's your vision, let's say, for the next five years? Where do you see this going? So my goal would be to have more than a million followers on Instagram. Right now we're at, let's say, 180,000, so not too far off from 200,000. I want to have more than a million. Um, and I want to have volunteers like throughout the U.S. as well as into other regions of the world as well. Um, because like I said, I really want this to be globally um, because I want to just continue to make that impact. Like There's so many messages that I get on instagram um but basically just saying you know what you and your team has done and are continuously doing it gives them hope to fight their own battles whether they're being bullied whether they have certain medical issues rare disease right whatever they're going through somehow what we're doing enables them to fight because they see that there's good out there in the world and getting messages like that just continuously makes me want to do more i want to have a larger impact right it's kind of like I wish that I could have the effect that these celebrities have in the sense that like when they walk down the street, people smile, they go crazy over that. Like I wish I could just walk into a Starbucks and just get every single person in there to smile because I walked in there. Yeah. Like that's all I want. I don't want them to look at me as if I'm on a pedestal, but I want to be able to know that no matter what I'm doing, I can make people happy. Like that would be my ultimate goal. So like in a way, not that I'm jealous, but I'm jealous of the impact that these celebrities can have, but that none of them utilize. Like they go out and they do random acts of kindness, which is great, but they have so much money and time. I don't get why none of them are just doing this for fun, like going out there, just making a difference because they can, right? 
some of them have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. They never have to work a day in their life. Even if it's once a week, twice a week, walk into a public place and take pictures of people. Go into a hospital, make people happy. Like, I don't get why they're not doing it more often. Like, that bothers me because... I, I hear you loud and clear, and I completely commiserate with what you're saying. I feel like, unfortunately, very often we see the people that have the most don't always do the most. And sometimes it's the people that have the least money or the least opportunity or the least accessibility, and somehow they get the job done. And you're right. It's really a shame. I mean, I often say, because I've been a teacher now for give or take 20 years. And I always would say like teaching is a superpower. And why are teachers not getting paid as much as somebody who can throw a basketball into a hoop? So I feel your frustration of misplaced appreciation and adoration and worshiping of people who not have not necessarily done much to deserve it. And then you have people like you who are doing and your team, not I say you as the general you, but this whole team that you've created of people that volunteer and are willing to give up of their time and Make just, just to simply put a smile on someone's face and it doesn't mean they even have the time or they have the resources and yet it matters to them. And right. I do believe a time is going to come where the people that deserve that recognition, and again, you're not doing it for recognition, but I just meant more in terms of the fact that people will understand and appreciate the importance of what's happening here. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that we live in a world where the focus is really sort of topsy-turvy, I think, the focus of who we who we look up to, right? Who are our idols? Um, and it's unfortunate that you're right, that celebrities have the accessibility that they should be doing more. But I think each and every one of us, starting with myself, listening to you today, you've reminded me that you don't have to be a celebrity. You could just be a regular human being. And each of us, if we're truth, if we're truthful with ourselves and we are honest, we, we know that we actually do have the resources and we do have, the, have to make it a priority. Yeah, exactly. And I think that what you're doing is absolutely amazing. Um, and it's a wake-up call. It really is. It's a wake-up call. Because like you started off the conversation that so many of us just coast through life, right? We just coast through life and we find what to be aggravated about. And again, not to judge, not to say those aren't fair aggravations. But you all you have to do is go to a funeral or hear some bad news to sort of shake you up a little bit and be like, what am I doing? You know, what, 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 what am I busy with? Right. Exactly. And I mean, look, it doesn't mean that you can't ever get upset or happy over things that quote unquote aren't like the most important things in life. Right. Do I still get happy when I buy a brand new pair of shoes? Yeah, it's cool. There's certain items that you might want to have, but that can't be the only reason. Right. That can't be the root and source of the happiness for my life because then essentially I'm just empty. Right. You said that feeling's going to fade. So, yeah. Do you get upset over silly things at times? Yeah. Are you going to get happy from certain things you shouldn't be? Yes. But overall, you need to have the proper focus on life, which is what you've been talking about. So, yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, I think because a big part of what you're what you do is also, you know, you're talking about young children who are afflicted with these difficulties. And like you said, many of them, unfortunately, don't make it past childhood. And then you have all of these adults who believe that their time is limitless. They foolishly believe that we have all the time in the world to make amends, to forgive we have all the time in the world to fulfill a dream. We have all the time in the world for you name it. And the truth of the matter is, is that what you're doing is this daily recognition that no time is fleeting and we don't have all the time in the world. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time because I think everybody needs to hear this. Every person needs to hear this and hopefully not let it go in one ear and out the other, but really penetrate and allow you to shake you up and 
to change change some aspect of your existence so that you're not just a taker but you're a giver that's yes. what i take away from this, from this conversation with you um and so josh just tell our listeners where and how if they do want to volunteer or if they want to learn more about you because your instagram account is absolutely magnificent and breathtaking and moving tell us tell us how we can like you know access you more um definitely so my personal account that i use is batman real r-e-a-l account um and the charity um instagram account or facebook or twitter and that kind of stuff is under smiles through cars which is just the name of the organization um or they could go onto our website which is smiles through cars.com um and on there they could either refer a child they could sign up to volunteer or make some sort of a donation on there um and i think the most important part that i would say one last thing to take away is just remember like in life you're going to have good times and bad times and sometimes like it's the darkest moments that we have that end up enabling us to become a stronger person for other people right because of the fact that i lost my sister that i was bullied and had other hardships you know it enabled me to have the knowledge and to be able to guide other people going through those same situations and even though while you're going through it it's extremely tough but you always have to remember that no matter how dark the tunnel is there's always a light at the end of it and you might need help getting through it, right? It might be that you need friends, you need family, you need therapy. It's okay. It, it doesn't have to change overnight, but you have to keep in mind that like it will change over time and that you keep pushing forward and you don't let it stop you. Um, and I think that's really important. The same thing in business, just to expect and embrace hardships because failure is honestly your best friend. More than success, it's failing in life, failing in certain things and learning from it and being able to push through it so that when you're faced with that situation in the future, you'll succeed in it and that you can guide others going through it as well. And I think that's just really important for people to do because we all hear about, you know, the guys that make millions and billions of dollars and this and that, but very few actually talk about the, the struggles that they've had to get to that point. Now they might have the knowledge to get through it, but that doesn't talk about the 20 or 30 years of hardships that they've had. And I think that's really our lives as well. You know, we go through a lot of good times. We also have a lot of bad times. But just keep pushing through them because you know that there's going to be better times ahead. Um, and we're all here to support each other. So I think I would just add that last piece. So oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. That was so well said. Absolutely. And I think you're so right about just normalizing struggle because I'm, I, I see time and time again when I talk to, when I talk to people that there's a certain um, embarrassment or stigma with admitting to pain, to admitting to struggle, to admitting that this is difficult for me. And so many people feel so isolated and lonely in their struggle. And I think that just... Being able to say, I was bullied, or this is this is tough, or I'm going through something really hard, and doesn't mean that I'm a weak person. Matter of fact, it's because I'm a strong person that I could stand here and openly talk about my struggle. And the more we talk about it, the more we could embrace it, the more we could be empathetic to other people who are perhaps experiencing it. And so I, I think you're so right that we need to, as, a, as individuals, because really everything starts with our own selves, look at ourselves honestly and, and reflect on who we want to be as people how we want to spend our time because time is limited and and not to wait, not to wait, not to say, oh, wow, that was a moving podcast with Donna and Josh. I think in a week from now, I'll make a phone call or maybe next month I'll look at his Instagram. No, the time is now, right now. You feel inspired. You feel moved, right? It's it's don't wait. Now is the moment because you never know to take you. No, it's exactly true. And I just have to mention one thing on that um, about – a year, two years ago, um, one of my volunteers, 
actually made an introduction to someone in the neighborhood um, who owns the company. It's called the ASAP Restoration. It's like a fire flood restoration company. Um, and basically, he heard about what I was doing for the children, you know, with the team and everything that we've been doing for the last decade and how we've made an impact. And, you know, heard about the exotic cars. And he literally showed us, he's like, look, in my garage, I have this Lamborghini Aventador, which is like, at this point now, a $600,000 car. And he literally said, here's the title to the car. I'm signing the title over to the charity and I'm donating the car to you to be used for the kids. Um, and on top of that, he wrote out a check um, for a purchase of a Rolls Royce as well. Because he, he said, you have the, lux the uh, exotic car item. Now you need a luxury car for the kids. And he literally wrote out a check and said, purchase the car and got us the cars and on the spot. So when you're talking about like in the moment, you know, we had that, we had volunteers that were super inspired by what we've done. And, you know, like Yesenia, Laura and some other people that really just came through and have been integral parts of the team and really helped because my vision is great, but it's so much greater with other people helping you out Absolutely. because they bring additional insights and they help you realize things that I didn't see. You know, they help me do things that maybe I didn't notice. So, you know, I think you also have to be open to hearing suggestions from other people out there. But yeah, definitely taking action is the key. So thank you so much. It's a great point. Absolutely. And and I think also, again, just to remember that and the giving, while it's fortunate to be in a position to give tremendous monetarily, for anyone listening that's thinking, oh, well, I don't have those types of funds. I don't have that opportunity. Giving could even just mean an hour on a Sunday. Giving could mean a phone call. Giving could mean anything. So if you reach out and you and you find out what can I do, You'll, you'll be amazed that there's always something that can be done, right, exactly. no matter what. It's, there's no such thing as a small kind deed. A small kind deed done to someone else, even if you say it's only an hour, that hour could mean the world to the person that you're giving the time to. Um, so just do whatever you can and make the world a better place. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, what can I say, Josh? This is magnificent what you're doing. I am... I am so proud to know you. I'm so happy that you're doing what you're doing. You've, you've, you've definitely touched my soul. You've given me a lot to think about. And I know that whoever's going to listen to this is going to feel absolutely the exact same way. And so thank you for taking the time to tell us all about your story and how you came to be this incredible person. And I really just wish for you that you'll have the strength and the opportunity to continue to do this and that it should just grow in leaps and bounds. Amen. No, thank you so, so much. I hope so, too. And, you know, I appreciate you having me on here. And hopefully we'll uh, be able to help people with their own battles and inspire people to make a difference wherever they are. Yes, absolutely. Well, this has been another incredible episode of The Good Sign. And I hope that all of you that are out there listening, that you take away something monumental and that you don't wait to do something monumental. You decide to do something monumental starting right now. And that could be something as big as something Josh is doing or something as relatively small as calling someone and, and, and wishing them well or just being a good listening ear to someone or offering a smile, holding someone's hand. Sometimes it's the small things, like Josh said, that just make the biggest impact on someone's life. So until next time, this is Donna Simintov thanking you all for joining us and wishing you a beautiful, wonderful, amazing week ahead. Take care. Bye-bye.